Good morning. On this Memorial Day weekend, it's our privilege to be able to gather together like this, to be able to worship our Lord. We've been doing so in, in a song and in tithes and offerings, and now we're going to continue our worship in the exposition and the application of God's Word. So I'd like to, this morning, pause in our series in the book of Psalms, and we're going to be turning in our Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles. And if you have trouble finding Second Chronicles, it's right after First Chronicles. I thought that might be of some help to us this morning. Now, as you make your way there, what I'd love for you to be able to see is that these 12 opening verses here have to do with an extraordinary battle scene that's unfolding. And as you are unpacking these verses, it's important to understand that they, the Israelites at this time, Judah, they are under siege. This is a sudden attack. They feel threatened. Now, what I want to do this morning as we're looking at these verses together is to ponder the fact that so many times in life, the unexpected occurs we find ourselves under siege. And then the question is, now what? What do I do? Where do I go from here? Well, what I'd like to do is to help us get started this morning by reading verses 1 down through verse 6, and then drop down to verse 12 before we go to our Lord in prayer as we consider, as I normally do on a Memorial Day weekend, a particular battle scene found in the scriptures. And here we're told that after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Mayanites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hasazan, Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Now, with that being said, drop down to verse 12, because this extraordinary statement then is offered. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us 
Mark what comes next. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We're going to be talking this morning about God being our focal point in the upheavals of life as we look to our Lord in prayer. And so, Father, we're thanking you on this Memorial Day weekend. We know that's a time of extensive travel for some. Thank you that we can gather together like this in the various services and praising you likewise for the live stream, for those that can join now this very hour or in the hours or days, weeks to come. As we collectively as one congregation seek you. And we thank you, Father, for a weekend like this that as we've been pondering, we commemorate, we commemorate those who laid down their lives for our national freedom. But even more significantly, we ponder the one who laid down his life for our eternal freedom. For Jesus Christ in his death on the cross paid the penalty of sin. He breaks the power of sin and in that future day, we will be removed from the presence of sin. You're sovereign, you are good, you are gracious, you are wise. And on a weekend like this, whether the gathered or those traveling scattered, we come together in one accord seeking you, the one who is Lord over all. So, Father, these are significant moments when we explore your word together. So, Father, we're praying that in a very unique, special way, you meet us our point of need. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, and shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus, him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Ponder this picture that appears on the screen where we find that Union Major Anderson is leading his troops in prayer. It's December 27th. It's 1860. And the Civil War is about to break out. And the setting reminds us that he was the one that was in charge of Fort Sumter. And we're told by a particular historian, the war began when, when Southern guns fired on U.S. troops stationed at a small island fort in the harbor at Charleston, South Carolina. That fort Fort Sumter was a U.S. government fort, and those shots announced that South Carolina was serious about leaving the United States. The Southerners meant to capture the fort, and they did. 
We're told that a, a few South Carolinians were dismayed, but many came to the Charleston waterfront in party clothes and cheered when the cannons blasted. James McPherson, in the book Battle Cry Freedom, writes, The U.S. has usually prepared for its wars after getting into them. Never was this more true than in the Civil War. The country was less ready for what proved to be its biggest war than for any other war in its history. And what captured my attention in the writings of this particular historian was this whole notion that the U.S. has usually prepared for its wars after getting into them. Because too often in life, what we find ourselves in is in a place of being reactive rather than in a position of being proactive. But the one who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior knows that we live in a fallen world. Evil abounds. And we have to always be on our guard and be prepared to be able to serve the Lord no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. What I want to do this morning, use that military imagery for our starting point, is to ponder this whole matter of having to function effectively for God's glory in what I call the threatening situations of life. And the question that we're going to have to answer is, and how do I go about staying focused upon the Lord in the midst of such situations? And what I want to do is to explore out of these 12 verses three significant ways that you and I can be proactive rather than reactive, albeit that here, once again, Jehoshaphat and company are in a reactive mode. So how do we develop a proactive approach to threatening situations that come our way. Um, three ways. And the first comes out of verse 1. We'll take it down through verse 6. That in threatening situations, in threatening situations, stay focused upon the Lord, acknowledging God's sovereignty over the situation. The situation is not sovereign over God's plans. God is a sovereign even over the evil plans being concocted in this world. Now, look very carefully at what begins to emerge. In verse 1, you and I are told that after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Mayanites, came up against Jehoshaphat for battle. They must feel threatened because they had to develop a coalition of nations, not the norm in that day and age, but because Judah seemed to be well-governed and its military well-positioned, it's very clear that these individuals felt threatened, and so they had to develop some kind of military coalition to make this work and to proactively attempt to get the upper hand of Judah. 
So we're told here in verse 1 that they came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Now when you begin to read very carefully through the book of 2 Chronicles in particular, you know that Jehoshaphat was one of the outstanding leaders, outstanding kings in the history of Judah. And that's going to bear itself out when you begin to watch what unfolds next. Because in verse 2, we are then told, some men came and told Jehoshaphat. You see it there? Quote, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazam Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So let's take a look at that setting that's being described here for us. And what I want you to see is that this is the place, this is the vehicle, this was the terrain that these nations decided to go through. What we understand, first of all, is that this would be not only a surprise attack, but this would furthermore be a surprising avenue that any nation, coalition-wise, would take to attack Judah. You simply do not expect them to come from the east flank. But this is exactly what occurs here. And so what we find is that not only is this a threatening situation, but furthermore, this is a surprising threatening situation. And Jehoshaphat is being delivered bad news. Now, it's very possible that somewhere in the course of these days, whether it be medically, job-wise, family-wise, we had to deal with bad news. Where a messenger came our way down the hallways of life to inform us of where, where the status of life is at. Is that where you're at? How did you respond? Or proactively, how will you respond? A great multitude is coming against you from Edom. Now, Edom was to um, the east. They are coming forward. These are distant relatives, in fact, of the Jewish People, the people of Judah, what should Jehoshaphat's response be? Now, I love the way in which the Bible always speaks with such authenticity at this point, even with regard to its leaders. Because you and I are informed, and maybe you have found this to be the case, when bad news is being delivered emotionally, what's captured here in verse 3 is that Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now, we know that what God does is that he offers us a series of uh, do-not-be-afraid statements throughout the Bible, doesn't he? Oftentimes in the context of military matters. But what I want you to see is what Jehoshaphat does is that he does not isolate his fear but rather he connects his fear. And the question then becomes, and what is the connection? 
Evidently, he is so motivated rather than paralyzed, motivated by his fear, that we are informed in verse 3, he set his face to seek the Lord. What captures my attention at this point is that the Hebrew word for set carries with the idea to fixate. It's as if he is not going to allow any alternative approaches to dealing with this situation. Furthermore, he is going to eliminate all distractions with regard to his relationship to God in this situation. And so now the question becomes, when you are in a threatening situation, upon what or upon whom do you fixate? Do you fixate upon the situation or do you fixate upon the one who is sovereign over the situation? Because what we're learning out of verses 1 down through verse 6 is that in threatening situations, the key now is to stay focused upon the Lord. And you begin by acknowledging God's sovereignty over the situation this is what so motivates then. It does not paralyze Jehoshaphat, but rather it motivates Jehoshaphat. He sets his face to seek the Lord. So what does he do? He enjoins the people of Judah at this point because he's no longer going to try to do this in isolation but rather he is going to involve in a corporate way God's people to gather together. A connection is being made with the people of the Lord. And what we find next is that he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now bear in mind at this point that if you are being threatened militarily, you don't want to weaken yourself physically. But that's exactly what a fast does. What he is now doing then is that he is demonstrating that the one who is, who is sovereign over all can handle this matter. And so he, to such a degree, he orders a fast, though it might weaken the people physically, that's temporary, it will so fixate their attention spiritually that now they're going to pursue God and pursue them, him he, they do. They seek the Lord. He proclaims the fast throughout all Judah. We're informed here at this point, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. It does not say at this moment, and Judah assembled to fight off the military threat. Isn't this interesting? In other words, they're going to go vertical before they go horizontal. They assemble to seek help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. I love what is known as the soldier's prayer on this Memorial Day weekend. Lord, I ask for courage 
courage to face and conquer my own fears. Courage to take me where others will not go. I ask for strength. Strength of body to protect others. Strength of spirit to lead others. I ask for dedication. Dedication of my job to do it well. Dedication of my country to keep it safe. Give me, Lord, concern for those who trust me and compassion for those who need me. And please, Lord, through it all, be at my side. Take a look at the scene that now appears before us because here's Robert E. Lee who had put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're now subsequent to Fort Sumter. Uh, Beauregard, the general, was the one of the southern troops that helped lead the siege Fort Sumter. And now here's Lee, several years later, 1863. And the question is, how is he leading the soldiers? And the answer is, um, he is leading them in prayer. Now this captures our attention. And so we look very carefully now, and I say, and you say, and we ask, what is necessary then under threatening situations to pull together people who will come before God and seek him and him alone? Out of this then, and you're back to the text, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem. I want you to now notice where he went. I want you to ponder how he positioned himself. That's critically important in threatening times. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, where? In the house of the Lord. He's placed himself in a worshipful context in the midst of threatening times. Before the court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? He is. He is sovereign. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. He does. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you, which is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar learned in Daniel chapter 4. The sentences by the decree of the watchers were told in verse 17 of Daniel 4. The decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. God is sovereign over all realms of the political sphere. 
So here's the soldier's prayer. And for those who trust me, and compassion for those who need me, and please, Lord, and maybe this is how you're praying right now in your own life situation, please, Lord, through it, through it all, be at my side. And it was during the Civil War when Lincoln was meditating, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? That during the crisis, uh, a civilian sought out Lincoln and said, Mr. President, I'm anxious, most anxious that the Lord should be on our side. And Lincoln replied, this gives me no anxiety at all. The thing I worry about is being on the Lord's side. And so what we have to do is to make absolutely certain that we are positioning ourselves effectively. And so if you are in the midst of a threatening situation, if you see the storm clouds are on the horizon, what's the first step? Threatening situations? Well, stay focused upon the Lord, verses 1 through 6 would inform us. Acknowledging God's sovereignty over the situation. Now, once you've grasped that, you're ready to move then to the second way, the next step forward, to be able to handle such things. Because out of verses 7 through 11, in threatening situations, stay focused upon the Lord, but now furthermore, applying God's promises to the situation. First way, first step, acknowledging God's sovereignty over the situation out of one through six. The second step, applying God's promises to the situation. Verse seven, down through verse 11. And so you pick it up now, and it seems to me that Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat must have been spending time in the book of Genesis. He has, he's got mastered for himself to lead the people well the ways in which God works. In verse 7, you and I are now told in the form of a question, did you not, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it, and now mark this, forever? That is a key word. In other words, he is now taking the text of Scripture and he is now allowing the eternal word to be used in a highly relevant way. That's what you and I need to be able to do as well. Apply timeless truths in timely ways. Keyword forever. And gave it, give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, 
Now, where could he have possibly gone to be able to get this idea of a promise being given to the Jewish population by God and that this promise has forever connotations attached to it? Glad you asked. Because in Genesis chapter 13, verse 15, here's Abram after having to part company with Lot being told by God, lift up your eyes, look to the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. You see, Genesis thirteen fifteen. In other words, timeless truths being applied in timely ways. This is what we have to do as we move from step one to step two. Where after acknowledging God's sovereignty over the situation in one through six, we invest ourselves in applying God's promises to the situation in seven through 11. So now look at your situation. Acknowledge God's sovereignty, step one. Apply God's promises, step two. Here, then, is what Jehoshaphat, in fact, is doing as he now looks into the past and chronicles and how has this promise thus far been fulfilled. Verse 8. And they have lived in it and have built for you in a sanctuary for your name. Saying, verse 9, he is so real, isn't he? He knows we live in a fallen world. If, if disaster comes upon us, has it? The sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine. Now notice, notice how he's energizing the people, even in the midst of his own tensions with fear. We will stand before this house where, notice where they're positioned. They're drawing strength in their worship. We will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction. You will hear and save. And you can say that because he is rooting this in God's promise, such as Genesis chapter 13, 15, on the whole matter of the forever. And now, behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. He's being realistic about the present. Whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, the reward of us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. So what do you do when you've got the promises on one hand and threatening circumstances on the other hand? Do you remember the story? It's the early days of our country. Weary traveler comes to the banks of the Mississippi River for first time. There's no bridge. It's early winter, surface of the stream covered with ice. Should he cross? 
we, the uncertain ice, be able to bear the weight, his weight. The writer tells us that night was falling. It was urgent that he reached the other side. Finally, after much hesitation, a lot of fear, he began to creep cautiously across the surface of the ice on hands and knees. He thought he might, he might distribute his weight as much as possible and keep the ice from breaking beneath him. About halfway over, he heard the sound of singing from behind him. And out of the dusk, there came a man driving a horse-drawn load of coal across the ice and singing as he went his way. Here he was on his hands and knees, fearful the ice may not be strong enough to bear him up, and there, on the other hand, as if whisked away and by the winter's wind, went the man, his horse, sleigh, load of coal, upheld by the very same ice on which he was creeping. And I thought, this is life. You see. And so now we have to ask ourselves, and who holds me up when the threatening times arise? and the fears begin to escalate. And what happens when others depart and I'm, I'm alone? And then what? And where do I go from here? You go and you start acknowledging God's sovereignty over the situation. So next step, applying God's promises to the situation. And I can just imagine now in this aerial scene that appears on the screen that that's something that the Israeli soldiers will have to ponder because this is an aerial view of Israeli soldiers saluting graves in a setting that our family is somewhat familiar with, Tel Aviv, having been there. And there they are, lined up, and they are saluting the ones who have laid down their lives uh, for their national freedom. And what you want to do is to walk up to them and say, and let me tell you about another Jew who laid down his life for our eternal freedom because you don't let such opportunities as a Memorial Day weekend slip by without taking that which is timely and that which is timeless and making the connection for one and all to be able to understand. So, there's your second step. But there's one more. And it comes out of verse, out of verse 12, because now, thirdly, where in threatening situations you stay focused upon the Lord, seeking God's intervention in the situation, acknowledging God's sovereignty over the situation, one through six, applying, applying God's promise to the situation, that's 7 through 11. 
But now, thirdly, seeking God's intervention in the situation, be honest with God at this point. Be upfront with God. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? We're powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. And now, a verse of Scripture that I think has extraordinary implications for all who love Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. For all those who wake up in the morning with 25 to-do points on the to-do list, Jehoshaphat has looked at his list and says, I still don't know what to do. What do you do? Our eyes are on you. That means then we have to allow for our eyes to be so focused. We eliminate the distractions of life in order to gain direction for life. And we do that. Well, I wonder if that's what's going on in the minds of these of the soldiers. He's walking Arlington on a memorial day. And he's pondering, as you see on the screen, the incredible picture of what is what was known once as Decoration Day, where flags were positioned next to each of the graves. What goes on in one's mind? Well, we know what was going on in President Bush's mind, Memorial Day of 2004, when offering uh, thoughts with regard to Arlington in general, Memorial Day in particular, spoke of Captain Joshua Byers, a West Point man, born in South Carolina, who passed away in Iraq. A son, President Bush said, a son of missionaries who was given command of a 120-man combat unit and wrote to his parents these words, I will give the men everything I have to give. I love them already because they've been entrusted to me. And he ended, President Bush did, with the words of Sergeant Hornbeck, Special Forces, killed in Samaria. To his parents back in Fort Worth, he wrote, I am not afraid, and neither should you be, for my trust is in my God. So we tie all this together on Memorial Day weekend. And just as many have laid down their lives for our national freedom, one laid down his life for our eternal freedom. The penalty of sin paid 
the power of sin broken, the presence of sin to be removed, past, present, future aspects. But there is something more, because after three days he rose from the grave, seated at the right hand, sovereign over all. And for this, on Memorial Day weekend, we give God all the praise. Let's stand together. And so, Father, we're thanking you for who you are. Military battles teach us valuable lessons. The story of Jehoshaphat and Judah offers us tremendous insights. All of us need to begin by acknowledging your sovereignty over this situation. All of us need to begin applying your promises to this situation. All of us need to be seeking you, Lord, your intervention in this situation with the ultimate intervention occurring at the cross of Jesus Christ, validated by being raised from the grave. And Father, we give you all the praise, all of it, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.